ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Today then, we begin with the statement of Al-Imam Al-Tahawi rahimahullahu ta'ala وَنُحِبُّ أَهْلَ الْعَدْلِ وَالْأَمَانَةِ وَنُبْغِضُ أَهْلَ الْجَوْرِ وَالْخِيَانَةِ That we love the people of justice and trustworthiness and we hate the people of oppression and betrayal and treachery. And this is from the perfection of Iman, that you love the people of justice and uprightness and piety and trustworthiness, and you hate people who are oppressive and wrongdoers and treacherous and betray you. فَهَذَا مِنْ كَمَالِ الْإِيمَانِ وَتَمَامِ الْعُبُودِيَّةِ فَإِنَّ الْعَبْدَ أو فَإِنَّ الْعِبَادَةِ تَتَضَمَّنُ كَمَالَ الْمَحَبَّةِ وَنِهَايَتِهَا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Qur'an that He loves the people of righteousness, that He loves the people of piety. So Allah mentions in the Quran, for example, that He yuhibbul muhsinin. Allah loves the muhsinin. They are the righteous, good doers. Similarly, yuhibbul muttaqin. That Allah loves the pious, those who are upon piety. Similarly, yuhibbul tawabin. وَيُحِبُّ الْمُتَطَهِّرِينَ That Allah loves those who repent. Those who seek forgiveness and repent for their errors and their shortcomings. Because of course we all have errors and shortcomings. And يُحِبُّ الْمُتَطَهِّرِينَ Allah loves those who are upon purity. Just like the Prophet ﷺ said, أَطَّهُورُ شَطْرُ الْإِيمَانِ Purification is half of your iman. And it is required that a Muslim be upon purity, upon purification. In all of his affairs, purity on the inside in terms of tawheed and abandonment of shirk. And purity on the outside physically also. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, Purification is half of your iman. And similarly, Allah لا يحب الخائنين That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not love the treacherous. <coughs> does not love those who are deceptive. Those who betray. Those who are treacherous. Allah does not love the people who are upon that characteristic. ولا يحب المفسدين these are all ayat of the Qur'an. And that Allah does not love those who cause corruption. Those who cause corruption and do wrong. 
then Allah does not love those types of people either. And again another ayah in the Qur'an, لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُسْتَكْبِرِينَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not love the arrogant ones. Allah does not love those who are upon arrogance. So you can see all of these characteristics, the ones that Allah loves, and those whom Allah does not love. Allah loves the pious, loves the muhsineen, the righteous and good doers, loves the tawabin, those who repent from their errors, loves the mutatahirin, those who are upon purification, but Allah does not love al-kha'ineen, those who are deceptive and treacherous, and does not love al-mufsideen, those who cause corruption, and does not love al-mustakbirin, those who are upon arrogance. So we similarly love the same types of people and hate the same types of people. We love the people who are pious and righteous, and we don't love the people who are treacherous and evil and deceptive, because that is exactly what Allah has mentioned in the Qur'an. Allah loves the righteous and pious, and does not love the treacherous and deceptive and evil. So we similarly love the righteous and pious, and we do not love those who are deceptive and cheaters, and uh, treacherous, and those who betray the trust. It is mentioned in a hadith also, ثَلَاثٌ مَنْ كُنَّ فِيهِ وَجَدَ حَلَاوَةَ الْإِيمَانِ There are three things, whoever discovers or realizes or sees these three things, does these three things, then he will find the sweetness of iman. <coughs> Three things, whoever does them, he will find the sweetness of Iman. Firstly, مَنْ كَانَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَحَبَّ إِلَيْهِ مِمَّا سِوَاهُمَا A person who loves Allah and His Messenger more than anyone else besides them. A person who loves Allah and His Messenger more than anyone else besides them. وَمَنْ كَانَ يُحِبُّ الْمَرْأَ لَا يُحِبُّهُ إِلَّا لِلَّهِ And a person who loves another and does not love him except for the sake of Allah. That you love a person for the sake of Allah. وَمَنْ كَانَ يَكْرَهْ أَنْ يَرْجِعْ فِي الْكُفْرِ بَعْدَ أَنْ أَنْقَضَهُ اللَّهُ مِنْهِ كَمَا يَكْرَهْ أَنْ يُلْقَى فِي النَّارِ And a person who hates to go back to kufr after Allah saved him, just as he hates to be thrown into the fire. The point of this narration here is, that you love a person for the sake of Allah. الْحُبُّ فِي اللَّهِ وَالْبُغْضُ فِي اللَّهِ Hating or loving for the sake of Allah, and hating for the sake of Allah. What this means is that you love a person for the sake of Allah, how? 
meaning you love a person because they are a righteous, practicing, pious person. If you love that person for those reasons, because of the sunnah that they are upon, because they are practicing the Qur'an and the sunnah properly upon the way of the salaf, you love the person for that good, righteous individual he is, that is loving him for the sake of Allah. And you hate a person for the sake of Allah, meaning you hate somebody who is going against the Qur'an and the sunnah. You hate them for the sake of Allah, you hate them because of their opposition to the Qur'an and the sunnah. As for loving someone just because they can get you some worldly benefits, loving someone because of their wealth, loving someone because of their position, loving someone because they can get you something in the worldly affairs, and that is not love for the sake of Allah. Maybe that person could be the worst innovator around. Maybe that person curses the companions. Maybe that person believes in all types of deviances and innovations. But he's rich. So you keep good with him, and you love him, and you're with him for the sake of that money and benefiting from him. Then you're not loving him for the sake of Allah. That is not love for a person for the sake of Allah. And the same with hatred. If you hate someone just because they've done something to you personally, then that isn't hatred for the sake of Allah, that's for your own sake. Hatred for the sake of Allah is that you hate somebody because of their opposition to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Which means, imagine now, there is a person you've known for a long time, and he's good friends with you, and you love this person. But he is an innovator. <clears throat> Goes to the graves, does all types of things, innovations, everything. Then there's another person who's a Sunni, proper, practicing Qur'an and Sunnah, way of the Salaf. But you had some fallout in the past and you don't get on with him. So now you love this innovator, but you hate the Sunni. Because you had some personal issue with the Sunni person, and this other guy, you've been good friends with him for a while, no issues with him. That type of situation now is a mistake. How can you love a person who is opposing the Qur'an and the Sunnah, over and above somebody who is a Sunni? That's not to say that you may not end up with some problem with somebody, it can happen. You may end up with some issue with some brother, and you don't really get along. It can happen. But that does not mean you're going to start loving people of deviation, people of innovation, over and above Ahlul Sunnah. Overall, your love for the Sunni, that is where your love is for the sake of Allah. This person now, like we've said before, if you know him, etc., you have a relationship, it's for the purpose of giving him da'wah. So, these days the problem is, people do not love and hate for the sake of Allah. It is love and hate for your own sake, for your own benefits, for worldly benefits. A person loves another person just because of their wealth and their status and what they can get for them. And they hate another person, 
even though that other person may be practicing, that other person may be uh, upon the religion, good and proper, following the Qur'an and the Sunnah, but you hate them because you got some personal problem with that person. So that is not the way it works. You love a person because they are practicing the Qur'an and the Sunnah. You hate a person because of their opposition to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. As for people loving and hating for their own personal agendas, that is not the reality of the one who is going to find the sweetness of Iman. That is not the reality of somebody who is going to find the sweetness of Iman. Then, نقول الله أعلم في مشتبه علينا علمه Here now he highlights, we say, الله أعلم in an issue where we do not have the knowledge of. If you do not have the knowledge of something, then you say, Allahu A'lam. There is a point to make here though. Do we say, Allahu A'lam, or do we say, Allahu wa Rasuluhu A'lam? Which one should we say? And which one did the companions used to say? <coughs> So the companions, they used to say, Allahu wa Rasuluhu A'lam. Allah and His Messenger know best. So why do we only say Allahu A'lam? Why don't we say just like the companions used to say, Allah and His Messenger know best? And now? So in that time, at the time of the companions, the Prophet ﷺ was right there alive with them, and the revelation was coming to him. So they would say, Allah and His Messenger know best. Because they knew the revelation was going to come to the Messenger. So they would say, Allah and His Messenger knows best. Now the revelation has finished. It's all there. The revelation has finished now. And the Prophet ﷺ has passed away now. So now, it's just a case of saying, Allah knows best. Don't say now, Allah and the Messenger knows best. The Messenger has now passed away, and the revelation has all come, and it's completed now. So now it's simply, Allah knows best. So that is something the scholars have mentioned. Uh, not to be confused, because the companions used to say, Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lam. Allah and His Messenger know best. Yes, they used to say that. And there are many hadith where they used to say that. But that was because the Prophet ﷺ was there, alive, revelation was coming to him. Now the revelation has finished and completed. And the Prophet ﷺ has passed away. He's not with us here. So in that case, we say, Allahu A'lam. Allah knows best. We say, Allah knows best. Then after that, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi goes on to another issue. Imagine this book we've been talking about all these different issues of Aqeedah. All of the various issues of Aqeedah. Different topics on Aqeedah, about the Qur'an, about the Sahaba, about seeing Allah, about Iman. All types of different topics on Aqeedah we've been going through. Al-Imam Al-Tahawi has been talking about various topics of Aqeedah. 
It's known as Al-Aqidah, the Aqidah of Al-Imam Al-Tahawi. <coughs> but look at this next point now. In this book of Aqidah, after all of those different Aqidah points, the next point Al-Imam Al-Tahawi makes is, وَنَرَى الْمَسْحَ عَلَى الْخُفَّيْنِ فِي السَّفَرِ وَالْحَضَرِ كَمَا جَاءَ فِي الْأَفْرِ That we believe in the wiping over the socks. We believe in the wiping over the socks, whether you're traveling or not. Just like it is mentioned in the narration. He's now talking about this issue of fiqh, wiping over the socks. That is not normally an issue of aqidah. That is normally in the books of fiqh. So how come he's mentioned that all of a sudden here? That we believe in the wiping on top of the socks. You can wipe on the socks even if you're traveling or even if you're at home, resident. It's allowed to wipe over the socks. Why has he put that here all of a sudden? When really that's an issue of fiqh? Because this is one of the key points in fiqh. Many of the people of innovation, they reject. Some of the groups of the khawarij and others. They reject this. They say it is haram to wipe over the socks. Your wudu won't make like that. It doesn't count like that. But Imam al-Tahawi, Hanafi. And he says, yes, we believe in the wiping over the socks. And then Ibn Abil Iz, also Hanafi, he says, Tawatarati sunnah عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بالمسح على الخفين that there are multiple narrations in the sunnah about wiping over the socks, the leather socks وبغسل الرجلين and also about washing the feet والرافضة تخالف هذه السنة المتواترة the rawafid shia, they oppose this they don't accept the wiping over the socks. وَالَّذِينَ فَيُقَالُ لَهُمْ أَلَّذِينَ نَقَلُوا عَنِ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ الْوُضُوءَ قَوْلًا وَفِعْلًا وَالَّذِينَ تَعَلَّمُوا الْوُضُوءَ مِنْهُ وَتَوَضَّعُوا عَلَى أَحْدِهِ وَهُوَ يَرَاهُمْ وَيُقِرُّهُمْ وَنَقَلُوا إِلَى مَنْ بَعْدَهُمْ أَكْثَرَ عَدَدًا مِنَ الَّذِينَ نَقَلُوا لَفْظَ هَذِهِ He mentions now that there are basically multiple, multiple companions who narrated these ahadith about the wudu of the Prophet ﷺ and that the Prophet ﷺ used to wipe over his socks. In those days they used to wear those khuf, the leather socks. But as the fuqaha have said, it can be any type as long as it is thick and covers your feet doesn't have to be made out of leather specifically. It can be cotton, it can be other materials. As long as it fully, properly covers your feet, it's not see-through thin material. Decent, thick material covers your feet, covers the ankles, the full area where you would normally wash. Then it's allowed to wipe over it. It is allowed to wipe over it. What is the rulings then about wiping over the socks? If you're traveling, you're allowed to wipe for how many days? Three days and three nights. Three days and three nights. And if you're not traveling? One day and one night. So, imagine then in the morning, you get up for Fajr, 6 a.m., you get up for Fajr. You make the full wudu, everything, wash your feet as well, everything. And then you get 
changed, put your socks on, and you go pray Fajr. Then after that, you carry on, you don't go to sleep now, you carry on upon that wudu, you're on wudu now, carry on in the morning, do your thing, whatever's happening. Midday, midday, just before dhuhr, your wudu breaks. So then you go, thinking almost dhuhr now, so you go and you make wudu and you wipe over the socks. You wipe over the socks and you go pray dhuhr. So now then, how long can you carry on wiping over the socks? For You're at home, you're not traveling, so... So the the time when you actually made wudu and you put your socks on was six a.m. That's when you actually made wudu, washed your feet, and put the socks on. Then you had the wudu and it broke at midday. So then you went and made wudu and wiped over the socks this time. That's when it starts. So then. Does it carry on till 6 a.m. the next day or does it carry on till midday the next day? From midday, first wiping. Midday, midday next From day. the first wiping, so that would be midday to next day. Anybody want to say 6 a.m.? Uh, possibly because possibly. the restart of the whole... From the first time you did it, when you put your socks on. Possibly... However, the scholars do mention it is from the first time that the wudu actually breaks and you wipe over. Before that, socks have got nothing to do with anything. Because at 6 a.m., you did you wipe or did you wash your feet? You washed your feet, so up to now, nothing to do with it. Only when you actually wipe the first time, that time starts. So it would start at 12 midday, all the way till next day, 12 midday, you can carry on wiping. <coughs> Let's imagine the same scenario. In the morning, 6 a.m., you get up, you make full wudu, you wash your feet, everything, then you put your socks on. And you pray Fajr. Then after that, you come back and you're doing your thing. 8 o'clock now, 9 o'clock, you've got your radiators on, it's winter. Gets a bit warm in the house, you decide to take the socks off. So you take them off at 9 a.m. Then, 11 a.m., your radiators on the timer have gone off, getting a bit nippy now again. So you put your socks back on again at 11 a.m. And then at 12, your wudu breaks. First time it's broken now since 6 a.m. when you made it. Wudu breaks. Can you go and wipe over your socks now or not? You can't shake because you still stay wudu when you put the socks back on. If you still have wudu, yeah. So even though at 6 a.m. you made the wudu, you washed your feet, you put the socks on. Then your wudu breaks at midday. But before midday, for an hour, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., you had taken your socks off. And then you put them back on at 10 a.m. Now can you wipe or not? Because you still have wudu. You still have wudu when you put them back on. Everybody agreed? You can still wipe on them? Absolutely. Because when you took them off at 9 a.m., had your wudu broken yet? When you put them back on at 10 a.m., your wudu was still there. So that's okay. The only condition is, when you put the socks on, you have to be on wudu. And you were. So that's okay, you can wipe. Same situation. 6 o'clock in the morning, 
You get up, you make wudu, you wash your feet, you put your socks on. Then, later on in the morning, doing whatever you're doing, you take your socks off at 11 a.m. And then, in fact, no need to take the socks off. You, your wudu breaks at 12. So you go and wipe and pray dhuhr. 6 a.m. you made the wudu full, washed your feet, put your socks on. Midday, like the first example, your wudu breaks just before dhuhr. So you go make wudu and wipe over the socks. Your 24 hours has now started. 2 o'clock in the afternoon or 1 o'clock in the afternoon, you go back home after dhuhr, a bit warm in the house, you take your socks off. Half an hour later, it's time for asr. You need to go back out to the mosque again. What's the situation now? Did you take the socks off? You took them off. You went home after dhuhr and you took your socks off. Did you break, did you break wudu as well? No. Nope. You broke wudu at 12 o'clock. 12 o'clock you broke wudu. So then you went and made wudu and wiped on the socks. You went and prayed dhuhr. Came back home at 12.45. You're relaxing at home now. A bit warm. You take the socks off. 1.45, an hour later, time for Asr, you need to go and pray. Can you just put the socks back on and go and pray? Yeah. Or do you have to make wudu again? Or what's the situation now? Yeah, you just put the socks back on and pray. Just put the socks back on and go pray? No. Yes. Difference of opinion. <laughs> Difference of opinion? <laughs> no, you should be able to because you still got wudu after. True. <laughs> Is it, sorry? You still got wudu, you didn't break wudu. Uh, you're right, so at 12 o'clock, at 12 o'clock, your wudu broke, you went and made wudu, you put your socks on, uh, you, uh, you wiped over the socks. <coughs> After dhuhr, you come back, now your wudu hasn't broken since you wiped over and made it at 12 o'clock, you just took your socks off. And then prayer time again, just put them back on, you haven't broken your wudu, put them back on and go pray. That's what you're saying? Everybody's on that fatwa? Nobody anything different? That one, there's a difference. It's not straightforward like that. It's not straightforward like that. Because now, when you take, in the first example, you took your socks off, put them back on, but that's because you hadn't even wiped yet. You'd made the full wudu, washed your feet yet, no problem yet. This time, when you took your socks off, you had just before that wiped on them. So now, when you'd made the wudu, you had made a wudu with a wiping of the socks. If you now take the socks off, then some scholars will say, your wudu is gone. Some scholars do say, and they have the opinion, your wudu is broken now. And it's a, it's a strong opinion too. Because right now, why are you allowed to wipe over the socks in the first place? Ease. Ruhsa. Allah's made it easy for you. You don't have to take them off and wash your feet, etc. You can just wipe on them. So now at 1.30, 1.45, or whatever it was, if you decide to take your socks off, you decided you no longer want the, the ease. You're happy to take your socks off. If you're happy to take your socks off, obviously you're not that bothered about the ease of keeping them on, etc. You've taken off those socks. And that's where you had wiped over. You hadn't washed your feet this time when you made wudu. You'd only washed over your, wiped over your socks. So in this wudu, you hadn't washed your feet. Only wiped on your socks. Now you've got rid of those socks. So technically your feet 
went upon wudu. It was the socks that you'd wiped upon. So some scholars say in that situation, your wudu breaks. If you had wiped over your socks, then you remove them. You've removed the ease. And so your wudu is broken, you have to go make the full wudu again, wash your feet. There are some other opinions in the books of fiqh as well. There are some other opinions mentioned here and there. One of them is they say, no, all you have to do is, if you take your socks off that you wiped on, now the problem is you hadn't washed your feet, you'd wiped over your socks, you've taken them off. So all you need to do is just go and... No, no, just go and wash your feet. If you're going to take your socks off, just go wash your feet so that you made your wudu full again. Because before you had wiped on the socks, now you took them off. So now it's like your feet are missing. So just go wash your feet and that's it, you're full again. Some scholars, they say that it's mentioned in the books of fiqh. So uh, there are these different opinions about that scenario. The safest thing in that scenario is not to just put the socks back on and go pray. The safest opinion is obviously to make wudu again. The uh, al-ahwat, as they say, the safest opinion would be to just make wudu again. If you wiped and then you take your socks off, the safest thing to do is to make wudu again. That takes you out of the differences of opinion. So that is uh, some of the issues about wiping over the socks. People always... Are, hmm. No, exactly. <laughs> about the hole in the socks. You know, everybody's got small holes in their socks. Big ones. The rule in the books of fiqh, they mention the scholars say, to wipe over, obviously, it has to be something which is covering the full foot. It is covering all of your foot. So if you are wearing like ankle socks, and they, they're not covering over your ankles, you can't wipe over them at all. Because it's got to be something covering all of your foot over and above the ankle, everything. But wait, so it's got to be covering everything, uh, the ankle, all of the area. That's what they say. It's got to be satirun al-mafrood or al-fard. And that is the area that you would normally wash. The area you would normally wash is the foot, including the ankles, ila al-ka'bain. Hence, they say it should be something that covers all of that area, including the ankles. That is what most of them say. But if you had a hole, for example, so there's an area missing, normally the rule should be that it doesn't count then. However, the scholars do mention there are examples of some of the companions who used to have holes in their leather socks. Imagine those days, leather socks walking around everywhere, deserts, and you get holes in them. They used to have little holes in their leather socks, but they still were allowed to wipe over them. So if you had some hole or something, something minor, not huge, some minor hole or something, it doesn't affect your ability to wipe over the socks. If it was some minor thing, because that is evidenced from the Sahaba. You're going to say? No, not the uh, uncle that some people differ to where, where the uncle is. Uh, some people differ where the ankle is. Uh, I think most people can point your ankle out. <laughs> ankle, most of the scholars, they say, it is to cover the ankle bone. So you have your ankle bone sticking out. You've got to have your cloth, your material, your socks on that, covering that. Below the ankle bone, then most of the scholars will say that's not covering the full ankle. So yes, you're right. They will differ about exactly where the ankle line starts. Is it on the bone halfway, so bone is sticking out, the ankle bone, the top half can be empty, the bottom half has to be covered, how is it? 
Most of them will say cover that area, the full ankle, ankle bone, downwards. Again, that's the safety. That is the full area, then the ankle included. So that is regarding some of the basic rules of the wudu. If you what, if you? Two, two socks, yeah. Ah. One has a hole, and covered <coughs> with the other one. So is this a biting of the No problem, it's okay. If you got a, a pair of socks on which has a hole, and then you put another pair of socks on top of it, okay. that doesn't have a hole, keep extra warm, no problem, just wipe on top of those. You got two pairs on, you wipe over the top pair and you pray. Even shoes. If you are just wearing your shoes and your socks and everything outside in the field, some situation like that, you can just wipe over the whole thing. And then go pray in the whole thing. So you can't wipe over your shoes? It's possible. It is possible to wipe over the shoes, everything. It's, the point is, what's covering your foot. Now you can go wipe on that and pray. So then, after that, قوله الحج والجهاد ما ضياني مع أولي الأمر من المسلمين برهم وفاجرهم إلى قيام الساعة لا يبطلهما شيء ولا ينقضهما that hajj and jihad they are continuous with the rulers of the Muslims whether they are righteous or not righteous up until the establishment of the hour nothing nullifies that and nothing uh, stops that this is uh, generally talking about Hajj and Jihad, that they are something which continue up until the Day of Judgment. They are done under the Muslim rulers, whether those Muslim rulers are righteous or not. Even if they are not righteous, as long as they are Muslim and they are not outside of the fold of Islam, etc., you still under their banner can perform that Jihad, you can perform the Hajj that is done under their banner, so that is something which is continuous and does not stop. Uh, it mentions here some of the narrations about that. Says, خِيَارُ أَئِمَّتِكُمْ أَلَّذِينَ تُحِبُّونَهُمْ يُحِبُّونَكُمْ The best of your uh, imams are the ones who you love and they love you. وَتُصَلُّونَ عَلَيْهِمْ وَيُصَلُّونَ عَلَيْكُمْ And you pray upon them and they pray upon you. Salute, uh, supplications, etc. وَشِرَارُ أَئِمَّتِكُمْ الَّذِينَ تُبْغِذُونَهُمْ وَيُبْغِذُونَكُمْ And the worst of your leaders are the ones who you hate and they hate you. وَتَلْعَنُونَهُمْ وَيَلْعَنُونَكُمْ And you curse them and they curse you. So then they said to the Prophet ﷺ, أَفَلَا نُنَابِذُهُمْ عِنْدَ ذَلِكَ Shall we not basically go out against them if we get to that kind of situation where they hate us and we hate them and they're cursing us and we're cursing them? They're bad rulers, evil rulers. Shall we not go out against them then? قَالْ لَا The Prophet ﷺ said, No. مَا أَقَامُوا فِيكُمُ الصَّلَاةِ As long as they are establishing the prayer amongst you, أَلَا مَنْ وَلِيَ عَلَيْهِ وَالٍ فَرَآهُ يَأْتِي شَيْئًا مِنْ مَعْصِيَةِ اللَّهِ فَلْيَكْرَهْ مَا يَأْتِي مِنْ مَعْصِيَةِ اللَّهِ وَلَا يَنْزِعِنَّ يَدًا مِنْ طَاعَتِهِ This is a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ now said at the end, when they said to him, if it gets to that kind of state where they are evil, etc., we hate them, they're cursing us, etc., shall we not go out and deal with them? 
The Prophet ﷺ said, no, as long as they are establishing the prayer, the Muslim, they are establishing the prayer. And then he said, if somebody is in authority over you, the rulers, and you see some sinning from them, you see the rulers committing some sinning, then hate that sin. Obviously, you hate anybody doing sins, including the rulers. You hate it if they are doing some sin. But, لا ينزعن, لا ينزعن Do not strip your hand away from the obedience. Meaning, don't rebel and revolt and cause chaos. They are doing some sin, we all do sin. They are doing some sin, you hate that. Hate the sin they are doing, you obviously don't approve of that. But, don't go out rebelling and revolting and the rulers this and the rulers that. That is from the words of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Sahih Hadith. <coughs> and there are many narrations like that, that talk about the uh, obligation to work under the rulers, to make dua for the rulers, not to oppose them and rebel and revolt and cause chaos. Then, وَنُؤْمِنُ بِالْكِرَامِ الْكَاتِبِينَ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ قَجَعَلَهُمْ عَلَيْنَا حَافَظِينَ here he now talks about an issue we briefly touched upon before when we talked about the pillars of Iman. He says, we believe in Al-Kiram Al-Katibin. They are the angels that write down your deeds. The angels that are writing down all of your deeds. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ قَدْ جَعَلَهُمْ عَلَيْنَا حَافِظِينَ Because Allah has made them as guardians over us. There are narrations about how there are angels that guard you. There are angels that are with you from Fajr till Asr. Hadith. Angels are with you from Fajr till Asr. Then at Asr time, new angels come and swap. The ones who were with you from Fajr till Asr, they go and a new set of angels come. And they stay with you from Asr till till Fajr. And then at Fajr time, they swap. And then others come. And it says in the hadith, at Fajr time now, for example, when the new ones come and the ones who have been with you from Asr the day before up until Fajr leave, when they leave and go, they are asked in the heavens, what did you leave my servant upon? What was he doing when you left him? And you swapped with the others and you came. What was he doing at the time? They say he was praying Fajr. Then when the new ones come at Asr and the ones who have been there all day go, they are asked, what did you leave my servant doing? They say, praying Asr. Hence the scholars, they say, that's one of the virtues of making sure you guard over those two particular prayers. And there are virtues of all of the prayers mentioned. But one example of those two prayers is that virtue. Because otherwise, the angels, they come and swap and you've missed your Fajr, you've missed your Asr, you're not praying nothing, then what is going to be said about you? <clears throat> so here in the Quran he mentions this That indeed we have upon you The noble guardians We have upon you the noble guardians The honorable, the noble And they are writing They know what you do Similarly there are other ayat 
ما يلفظ من قول إلا لديه رقيب عتيد that a person does not speak a single word except that there is that supervisor, that guardian, the angel upon him writing everything. So these are narrations that highlight to us that there are angels with us all the time. The hadith that we quoted is mentioned here also. يَتَعَاقَبُونَ فِيكُمْ مَلَائِكَةً بِاللَّيْلِ وَمَلَائِكَةً بِالنَّهَارِ There are angels that take turns with you from the day and the night. وَيَجْتَمِعُونَ فِي صَلَاةِ الصُّبْحِ وَصَلَاةِ الْعَصْرِ And they cross over, combine at the time of Fajr and at the time of Asr. فَيَصْعَدُ إِلَيْهِ الَّذِينَ كَانُوا فِيكُمْ فَيَسْأَلُهُمْ وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمْ بِهِمْ كَيْفَ تَرَكْتُمْ عِبَادِي So the ones who left that Fajr, when they go up, they are asked, <coughs> How did you leave my servant? Uh, and then they say, أَتَيْنَاهُمْ وَهُمْ يُسَلُّونَ They say actually, when we got to them, they were praying. So imagine the ones who left at Asr. They are saying, when we got to them, they were praying. That was at the time of Fajr when they came to swap over. When we got to them, they were praying. And when we left them, they were praying. Then the others, when they leave at Fajr time, they'll say, when we got to them, they were praying, meaning Asr. And when we left them, they were praying, meaning Fajr. We got to them and they were praying, and we left them and they were praying. In another narration, إِنَّ مَعَكُمْ مَنْ لَا يُفَارِقُكُمْ That there is with you those who never separate from you. Talking about the angels again. They are always with you. إِلَّا عِنْدَ الْخَلَاءِ Except when you go into the bathroom. وَعِنْدَ الْجِمَاعِ And at the time of intercourse. فَاسْتَحْيُوهُمْ وَأَكْرِمُوهُمْ So apart from those two instances, at the time of needing the bathroom and at the time of intercourse, they are not with you. Besides that, they are with you all of the time. And so the Prophet ﷺ said, فَاسْتَحْيُوهُمْ So have shame. Have some shame in your actions and what you're doing that the angels are with you. Have some shame and humility that the angels are with you. And أَكْرِمُوهُمْ Honor them. How are you going to honor the angels? By carrying yourself upon righteousness and piety. Not carrying yourself upon evil and sinning and the angels are with you. That's not ennobling and honoring them. So look at that, important. فَاسْتَحْيُوهُمْ Have some humility, have some shame. That the angels are with you all the time and they see and they record everything you're doing. And أَكْرِمُوهُمْ Give them nobility, give them honor in doing the goodness and the righteousness. It's mentioned in various books of tafsir that there are two angels on the right, or that there are two, إِثْنَانِ عَنِ الْيَمِينِ وَعَنِ الشِّمَالِ يَكْتُبَانِ الْأَعْمَالِ That there is an angel on the right and an angel on the left. صَاحِبُ الْيَمِينِ يَكْتُبُ الْحَسَنَاتِ وَصَاحِبُ الشِّمَالِ يَكْتُبُ السَّيِّئَاتِ The one on the right writes down your good deeds, and the one on the left writes down your evil deeds. وَمَلَكَانِ آخَرَانِ يَحْفَظَانِهِ وَيَحْرَصَانِهِ And then there are two other angels that are there to protect you and guard over you generally. وَاحِدٌ مِنْ وَرَائِ وَوَاحِدٌ أَمَامَهِ One behind you, one in front of you. So one on your right, writing all your good deeds. One on your left, writing all your bad deeds. 
One in front, one behind to guard you, to protect you, preserve you and guard you. فَهُوَ بَيْنَ أَرْبَعَةِ أَمْلَاكِ بِالنَّهَارِ So the person is between four angels during the day. وَأَرْبَعَ آخَرِينَ بِالْلَيْلِ And four others during the night. بَدَلًا حَافِظَانِ وَكَاتِبَانِ Two of them writing your deeds. <coughs> and two of them that are there for your preservation and protection. Also there's another hadith in uh, Muslim. مَا مِنْكُمْ مِنْ أَحَدٍ إِلَّا وَقَدْ وُكِلَ بِهِ قَرِينُهُ مِنَ الْجِنِّ وَقَرِينُهُ مِنَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ All of you has somebody with you from the jinn and from the angels. With you. قَالُوا وَإِيَّاكَ يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ They said even you are messenger of Allah. Meaning even you have a jinni with you like that. قَالُوا وَإِيَّاكَ he said, even me. وَلَكِنْ أَعَانَنِيَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ فَأَسْلَمَ However, Allah aided me and the, the jinn of the shayateen who was there to try and whisper, etc. He has become Muslim. So the one that was with the Prophet ﷺ became Muslim. فَلَا يَأْمُرُنِي إِلَّا بِخَيْرٍ And so he does not command me except with good. However, we all have a jinni from the shayateen. From the shayateen. Upon us, always trying to whisper to us. Always trying to whisper the evil to us. Uh, وَقَدْ ثَبَتَ بِالنُّصُوصِ الْمَذْكُورَ أَنَّ الْمَلَائِكَةَ تَكْتُبُ الْقَوْلِ وَالْفِعْلِ It's mentioned in the texts, the angels, they write down all of your deeds in terms of your statements and your actions. All the things that you say is written down, but things that you do is written down too. Don't think it's only what you say that gets written down. Things that you do, evil things that you might do, they'll get written down that you did this and you did that. So your statements and your actions are all written down. Uh, then there is the issue about the intention. Uh, but the issue of the intention, there is a narration, إِذَا هَمَّ عَبْدِي بِسَيِّئَةَ فَلَا تَكْتُبُوهَا عَلَيْهِ فَإِنْ عَمِلَهَا فَاكْتُبُوهَا عَلَيْهِ سَيِّئَةَ وَإِذَا, هم وإذا هَمَّ عَبْدِي بِحَسَنَةَ فَلَمْ يَعْمَلْهَا فَاكْتُبُوهَا لَهُ حَسَنَةَ فَإِنْ عَمِلَهَا فَاكْتُبُوهَا عَشَرًا in one narration, it does mention that if my servant intends to do something bad, don't write it down. Unless he does it, then it gets written down as an evil. But if my servant intends to do something good, write it down. And then if he does it, write it down as ten times more reward. So that is mentioned in a narration. And similarly, قَالَتِ الْمَلَائِكَةَ ذَاكَ عَبْدٌ يُرِيدُ أَنْ يَعْمَلَ سَيِّئَةَ وَهُوَ أَبْصَرُ بِهِ فَقَالَ أَرْقُبُوهُ فَإِنْ عَمِلَهَا فَاكْتُبُوهَا بِمِثْلِهَا وَإِنْ تَرَكَهَا فَاكْتُبُوهَا لَهُ حَسَنًا In another narration it mentions about having the intention to do evil, don't write it, but if that person then stops that intention, corrects himself and doesn't carry out what he had intended of evil, stops himself, then it gets written down as a good deed for him in the end. He was first whispered to, and he fell into it, and he decided and started intending to do something evil. But then he stopped himself, rectified, made toba from that evil intention, stopped it, he'll get a reward for having prevented himself and stopped himself in the end from having done that. That is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. We'll uh, round off on that today.
The next section carries on with a bit more about the angels, some of the specific angels. The next one is about the angel of death. The next chapter is about the angel of death uh, and some of the affairs about the punishment of the afterlife. So that's where we'll start from, inshallah, next time. Same uh, approximately 7.15 p.m., inshallah ta'ala. Any questions on that? Hmm. Are there any examples where the companions after the Prophet said Allahu A'lam without saying uh, Allahu wa Rasulu We'll have to look and search and see if there is anything like that. If there are examples of the Sahaba just saying Allahu A'lam. All you can say is Allahu A'lam. You said that the angels safeguard you, one in the front, one behind. Is that from like genital <coughs> physical safety, like being attacked by animals or? <coughs> it's a general thing. It's a general thing that the angels are there, and they do protect and guard you. But with all of these things, there's obviously a lot more that comes into it. Imagine a person never bothers with any du'as of the morning, of the evening, supplications when you wake up, when you go to sleep. Somebody doesn't bother with any of that kind of thing. His protection may be far less compared to somebody who's regularly doing all their adhkar, regularly upon their prayers properly. There's a difference in the levels of things. But this is general that there are angels there Allah has appointed for protection of his servants, etc. But the levels may differ. Uh, what attitude should you have, for example, if you do have the uh, dua, for example, in the morning, protection from all kinds of evil, and then, for example, some sort of evil does afflict you, like what attitude should you have? That's no problem. It could be either because you did not read the dua properly. The, when you read these duas, you're supposed to know their full meaning properly. If you don't know their full meaning properly, then it doesn't have the proper impact. All the duas and the supplications of the morning, the evening, after the prayer... You're supposed to know their full proper meaning. What does it mean? What's this saying? What's the point of it? Everything properly. Explanation. So when you read it, you know fully, properly what you're reading, what the point of it is. That's when it really has the impact. So a person who doesn't know that fully, he just learnt it from a book and just memorized and doing it, doesn't really know the full meanings of the words and everything, he won't have the proper impact. That's the first thing. Secondly, even if you do it and still something happens, then it could just be a test from Allah upon you. It's a test to see whether you'll be patient. And if you are, then that is something which gives you more reward and raises you in your levels. Tests. That's why it says, The most tested people were the prophets. They were the ones most on tawheed and calling upon Allah, everything. yet they were the most tested because of tests that will then raise them in rank. The more patient you can be at the time of some difficulty happening, then your sins are removed for that and you're raised in your levels and rewards. So if something like that happens, it's a test to be patient, to keep returning back to Allah, keep making dua. Because some people now, they may do these duas and something happens, they oh, what's the point then? Forget it. So they fail the test. That's the point of the test. All of this life, everything is a test with these things. So it could just be a test or a trial to test you. Not as a punishment, it could be a test for you only. All right, we'll leave it there. Next week, inshallah ta'ala.